G'day, it's Pete from Mark Remote Coaching. This is the third episode of a series of four with Alicia Shemeld, a registered psychologist with a background in performance psychology and who just happens to lift. In today's episode, we'll be discussing self-sabotage, coping with no progression. We also touch on perceptions of diet and nutrition, discuss a little bit about goal setting, and of course, we then get into a rant about social media influences and their privilege. So yeah, a really good episode. Check it out. Uh, let's just get into it. I, th- I think linked uh, to motivation more than arousal, um, which is you know h- how do you, you know, what's your your thoughts on how to attack or, or deal with when training is not leading to a progression. So let's say you've been training for six to eight, 12 weeks, you haven't seen an improvement, and then your sort of confidence is dropping. Yeah. Um, uh, what do you think about that? Or, you know, I, I see this with people, um, whether it's strength training, whether it's you know people trying to improve their runtime, or even just general population, people just trying to lose weight. Yeah. Uh, and I think that confidence, and it, it comes with frustration as well at yeah. times. Um, how you can help someone's mindset in dealing with those kind of sort of longer term obstacles? I mean, I think like a big one, and this is more, this is less a site thing and more a coach thing. Um, figuring out how you're measuring the progress. Yep. Um, because it might not be that they're not making progress. It might be that they're not making progress in the way that you're measuring. Um, and so then, then that cognitively has that impact of like I'm a failure, and then it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy of it's not working anyway. So what's the point of doing this? Or what's the point of doing that? Um, so that's probably the first thing that I would, like. If you as a coach are sure that they're doing what I'm asking them to do, but they're not progressing, well, what, what is progress like? And, and do you have to measure it that way? Like if this is for say a work fitness test, well, there's only one way to measure that. <laughs> you know, they're, 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 and it's pass fail. Yeah, and it's pass fail. So no one gives a shit if they're improving. Like, yeah. So in those situations, then it's probably about like what what else is going on? Because if physically they're going through the motions, but they're not making the progress you would expect, like are they self sabotaging in other ways? So let's say a fitness test. Like if we use that example, because I think that's a nice concrete. Yes, you know, pass fail. Either they're going to get it or they're not. You know, if they're doing the training programs that should be resulting in this outcome. What, what's going on the rest of the time? Like, is it that they're stress eating and so they're weighing more? And so even though they're actually should be getting faster, it's kind of evening out um, or they're not fueling themselves properly. So I had a client actually for like, it was like sort of sports site type stuff. Um, and she was very frustrated because she wasn't making progress, but she was under eating. So this, um, this oh God, I can't remember the acronym. I think it's RAD-S. I might have to Google that. <laughs> Let's just say it's RAD-S, and if not, we can fix it. Um, change it in post-production. Yeah, we'll change it in post-production. It's fine. Get it in post. Um, yeah. I'm a professional. I do one take. Amateurs do two takes. Um, so it's – I can't – I'm trying to remember exactly what it stands for, but basically what it is is that um, it's very easy for higher level or even not higher level but, like, very dedicated athletes, which we often see in the defence force of people who train really consistently. It's really easy for them – even without knowing it, to go under what their body needs in terms of calories. Yep. Um, and particularly for running, because there's so much kind of pseudoscience around that. There's this idea of the lighter I am, the faster I am. And it's like, yeah, maybe in certain kinds of running, that actually to a point is accurate, to a point. Um, but it's not a blanket rule. And if someone is like underfeeding themselves, they're not going to be able to perform. But more from a psych perspective, I think 
those fitness tests, fitness tests for anything, they come with this huge psychological element and people like they choke, they like psychologically choke beforehand. Um, and so that's where all that kind of stuff that we've talked about is really important is like the mental rehearsal, the acknowledging that, yeah, your heart's racing, but maybe you need to get it down. So actually, and I've, I've had clients where the only reason they see me is because they're fit but can't pass a BFA, which is the army fitness test. Um, so what we find works with them is working on it, treating it like an anxiety disorder. And it's not an anxiety disorder, I don't want to say what it is, but treating it the same way, <coughs> sorry, um, of like physiologically getting their arousal down before they even start and kind of just accepting of like, because you can challenge, you can challenge all those thoughts, but there's only so far you can challenge them because there are repercussions from failing. And there's really, there is social stigma attached to failing. But it's one, it's not letting it get into catastrophic thinking. Like if you fail this once, you don't get fired. That's not how it works. But that you get a 30-day warning. If you fail that, you get a 90-day warning. Like it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. But people, especially probably not not sort of younger, but people newer to the organisation who don't fully understand how the system works, they've come through a training establishment where it's like you pass this or you don't go on to the next stage. And so that's what they've internalised. Yeah. And, um, and the social stigma. Oh, I really want to talk about social stigma. But the stigma. Um, but yeah, um, I think we have a cultural problem, a cultural yeah. problem with the basic fitness assessment that, yes. that, that we equate people that fail a basic fitness assessment as being unfit and unsuitable to be a soldier. And they're like, that's not even what the test is on. The, the, the test is a sample in that time right now of someone's physical health, not their fitness. Even yeah. it's got fitness in it, it's not a measure of fitness. It never has been. It's a, it's a measure of health. It's such a bizarre distance if we're trying to pretend that's about fitness. Yeah, and I can tell you where it comes from. Uh, it's the Cooper test, um, US Army, 1960s, 1970s. There's a whole reason why. People don't even know where it comes from, where those numbers come from, which are made up. Like <laughs> they're made up yeah. numbers. There isn't a data set that actually says yeah. this equates to being a high performance load of shit. It's not task specific. But if, if you fail a basic fitness assessment, so I'll go on a ran random rant and get me fired up. <laughs> it, it means that it's likely that you have an underlying health issue. Yeah. Um, you, you have an issue with diet, lifestyle, injury, or something or other. Your basic cardiovascular capacity or muscular endurance isn't up to a random benchmark someone chose. That's all it is. And then we need to treat the underlying cause and symptoms so you can, so that we know you're good to do your job. Anyway, yeah. but people think it's a fucking fitness test and it's yeah. not. You can't win a BFA. Yeah, yeah. And there used to be incentives to do better, but there's not even incentives to do better now. Just do either do it or don't do it. Like Yeah, because it, but, it's pass-fail. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, the personal incentive levels I thought were stupid as well, um, yeah. my opinion. Um, <laughs> I do not reflect any government official. Yeah. Same. Same. Unless they're going to pay me more, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. But so, um, something like with that stuff, we actually just look at. We do look at some in some ways at the cognitive stuff of like stopping it from getting down into catastrophic thinking. But we also just accept that there are some repercussions. Like yep. we can't. Like I can't cognitively convince someone there's no stigma when there is a stigma. <laughs> like that's not how. That's not going to work. So instead, it has to be. Yeah. If you fail, this is going to suck but let's do everything we can to make sure you don't fail. And some of that is like breathing exercises. So the one that I think is probably like, it's hard to just say like on a podcast, here's, here's a strategy that I think could work most people, but there's something called box breathing. And that's something, box breathing or square breathing, you can Google either. Um, 
it's just a really good technique that anyone can use that can bring their heart rate down when they're feeling anxious or um, you can actually use it in cool down if you want to um, but like we use it for anxiety um, or when someone is starting to hyperventilate if you can get them to do this it's quite helpful and it's just it's just called that because of the number of breaths you do and it just slows your heart rate back down basically so that's something we use for people before bfas we use um like we use mental rehearsal we will go with them and do it and like kind of be like their little sight cheerleader like around the track as well of what's going on in your body so that box breathing and square breathing stuff sounds pretty cool yeah and it's it's something it's super easy to learn you don't need a psych to teach you and it's just it can just bring your heart rate down really nicely i think you bring up a really good point there that people think that you know, that, that one hour, you know, two hours, three hours or whatever of training you do per day is this isolated thing yeah. and that it is what's going to lead to all these positive changes where you're like, yeah, that's between, you know, 4% and maybe 12% of your day. Um, I think it's about right. Yeah. Um, but all the things you do outside of training has a massive influence as well and i'm always talking to people about recovery and i'm stressing recovery and not like oh go do this to get recovered but more like make sure you eat to optimize your performance make sure it's suited to what you're doing and make sure you fucking sleep and if you're not sleeping like that is gonna reduce any progress you you might have um if you haven't got that sorted out like you're effectively not that you're wasting your time but it's counterproductive and i know you like to ping me on this and query me about it when i say stress is stress <laughs> and in the context that i mean it is that like physical stress from training and then the stress and the stress is a physiological response as opposed to just you know in a broad sense um it all interacts so that lack of sleep you have one night is going to affect one your performance in training the next day the next week and any progress you might have and if you just see it as a silo by itself isolated that oh this program by itself is leading to all my gains then you sort of miss the point um yeah i I think a lot of people uh, it's a big thing i try and educate people on is like it's everything else you do is as important as that training session sometimes it's more important well, especially, especially food, like we've talked a bit about like the women are getting more into strength training, yep. but sometimes they're getting, they're getting an increased interest in that without changing their views on food. Yes. And so like, like I know so, so many women that will say like, I wish I had arms like yours, but then when I'm like smashing down my third lunch at 2 p.m., they're like, I wish I could eat like you. I'm like, well, it's the eating, the eating's making me arms. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I need fuel. Yeah. to power my body's growth of tissue. <laughs> yeah, especially, you know, I don't have the amount of testosterone that a guy has, but I'm, like, actively trying to make my, my arms and stuff, which traditionally for women are much harder. Like, yeah. you know, I, often, I do often joke about, like, oh, yeah, my, you know, my back is filled with hot chips or whatever, like, which is obviously not the healthiest of food, and that's not necessarily true. I eat much healthier. But there are still so many women that think that a fit person is also a person who is dieting in the sense of restricting calories as opposed to like sometimes I'll refer to it as a diet and I just mean as in I'm watching have I got enough food have I got enough protein and sometimes that means that I might say no to cake but it's not because I'm worried about the calories it's because I know that there's nothing that's going to build my body in that it's just 
like shit. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, and uh, I take the view that a, a diet, like diet, is not something I do when I want to lose weight. My yeah. diet is what I eat for better, for worse, or for indifference. Yeah. Um, and I try and get you know, my clients that whether they're trying to cut weight or whatever to. To, to change their perception. If they have a perception of a diet, it's a thing you do. It's like, fuck no. My, my diet is whatever I eat. Yeah. And, you know, one Mars bar isn't the end of the world. And sometimes that can actually be useful. <laughs> but again, it comes back to that good and bad. But yeah, all these things that are outside of training, I think have a large impact on performance. And then and I, I think people don't realize that that they get fixated on this one session by itself is going to lead to these massive improvements and you're like well actually it's a cumulative effect over time you need to optimize everything which doesn't mean being perfect it just means make sure it's supporting and is actually supportive and of that particular goal and i guess that really brings up goal setting um a favorite of one of my many topics i like you love it you love it (laughs) um and I think smart goals, uh, everyone's heard of them. Um, and that's just the way you do goal setting, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I, used, I used to do smart goals. Even people in the army are like, oh, you got to have smart goals. And I was like, why? <laughs> I, I, mean, like, I get they, they're useful, but I don't think yeah. they're, they're not a panacea. No, and they, they're useful. Like many things are useful. Like box breathing. I've just recommended box breathing because it's the one that works for the general population that's easy to teach yourself. And that's why you need smart goals the way you do it. Like, if I'm like seriously doing goal setting with a client, yeah, I will be some of those criteria we're using, but there's so much more to it. And like the big one is like smart goals are in an ideal world, really. Like we say to people that, you know, the R is realistic and you've got to set it realistically, but very, very rarely do people actually do that. Very rarely do people think, oh, yeah, you know, because you just said it, it's not just the training, it's food, it's mm. sleep. So, you know, yeah, the average person under the average conditions could reasonably make these gains or gain this speed or lose this weight or gain this weight or whatever. Can you do it in the lifestyle that you have with, you know, let's say you have little children that are waking you up at home. Or, and, you know, that's that's something that people have to realise is that sometimes maybe it's not going to be a 12-week goal. Maybe this is going to be a 12-month goal because there's going to be periods where you, your progress is not going to be that good, but you're going to just keep building the habits and you're going to be building the muscle say, underneath a bit of fluff because you're going to be eating more and you know you're going to be eating more. Or, you you know, you're going to be on a ship, so you're going to have less control over what's coming into your body and you've got to accept certain things there. Um, so the, the thing, a big thing that I get people to do is to think about, like, smart goals are a nice framework, and then I'll be like, right, you know, this is your ideal world. What do you see as the roadblocks to this occurring? And the problem is when someone is super motivated, it's really hard for them to see what could possibly block me from achieving this yes, goal. Yes. Because they'll be like, oh, no, my my husband will get up for the kids for me, so I won't have to worry about that. Or um, I will take I will take all these protein bars and I won't eat anything from the mess or I'll do this or I'll do that. So the way that I get people to reflect on it a bit better is I say, okay, so this is a goal you've had. How long have you had a goal like this for a physical goal? Because most people, by the time they're seeing a psych or a coach, this is not the first attempt they've made yeah. to achieve whatever outcome it is that they've got. So I'll say, right, in the past, what stopped you? And then when they say that, then we go, okay, so let's say that would happen. Like, how did you deal with it? Let's say that happened again. What would be a different way to deal with it? And it's actually like wargaming that out of, right, 
So we know that you are an emotional eater and so you will stick to your calories, but then on Saturday you will, you know, if some, if you have an argument with your spouse, you're going to do this. Yep. What's the solution here? And it's never, I'll have more willpower because that's not going to work. Like yep. people have this idea, like I hate willpower. There's, there's actually a really interesting book called Addicted. It's by Matt Moss and Kieran Palmer. I really rate this book. It's, it's initially about drug stuff, but it talks about social media, food, things like that. And it's essentially that, um, it, it talks a lot about this idea that we really demonize people for not having enough willpower and we don't take into account that this scary idea that maybe it's not about willpower at all, maybe there's only so much willpower anyone has and that it's about controlling the environment that's around you as well. You know, so like I'll, I'll be better controlled with, with that food. I won't, I won't eat my kids' leftovers. That's probably not a solution. It's coming up with, right, you know, either it goes straight in the bin or I'm not buying music bars for my kids because I know that's a trigger food for me um, or I know that I don't have the willpower in inverted commas to get up at 6am so what is my plan here I will train at night like it's, it's coming up with what stops you and, and coming up with a realistic solution because just oh I'll knuckle down and I'll try really hard because I really want it this time like probably really wanted it last time too and that didn't work that way like you've got to accept that you're human and shit happens so what are you going to do to make you make your life easier in the ways you can like I train in the morning because I know I'm someone who at night, once I've done everything, I don't want to leave the house. Um, and I'm also like there's certain foods, like I said, you know, I, I eat to goals, but if I fill my whole calories for the day with mint slice biscuits, I'm not going to get the protein in. So I don't bring foods like that into the house because I know that, you know, my willpower and inverted commas is not good. Mm. Um, and uh, so I'm finishing up the OPEX certified coaching program or whatever but what i really liked a few things in that program is their sort of conception of goals is they differentiated between fantasy and goals yeah and that put like a really good perspective um between what's something you desire versus something you're actually going to put the effort in and work towards and i think people confuse the two like they have aspirations they have desires to, to do something but they don't recognize, one, how long it's actually going to take. It, it, they have unrealistic expectations to how hard it is. Yeah. And three, what they actually need to do to achieve it. Yeah. And, and they may not have the capacity. They have the desire, but they don't have the you know, capacity as completely. And that's not necessarily laying blame on them, but no. their circumstances, their environment, their, their, their life, their work, whatever else doesn't make that reasonable or achievable. I, 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 yeah, I think so much of that is, like, I love Instagram. You know I love it. Um, but it's also so toxic in some ways and, and a big one. And I'm guilty of this expression. So I love, there's an expression I use for myself, which is, you know, you can make excuses or you can get results, but you can't, you can't do both. Hmm. But that's not me trying to shame people. That's something I use for myself because I love an excuse. Um, I love, oh, I'm too busy, I've got this, I've got that. And so it's just something I say to myself of like, well, you can either do that or you can figure out a solution. But you've still got to have self-compassion and know like where, where you're limited. And that's something I did earlier this year and I put it on my Instagram that I previously wanted to compete in a figure comp and I realised because of multiple things going on in life, it wasn't the time. And could I have pushed myself to achieve it? Maybe, but at what cost? And at what cost to my like lifestyle and that kind of thing? And, and the priority wasn't there. But I feel like there's so much of that idea of, you know, you know, you can't you can't make excuses. There's no excuse. There's always this. There's always that. But the people who are saying that often do not have the lifestyle of who they're selling that to. 
So I saw one the other day, which was this, you know, this trainer that uh, the one I've told you about this guy before. Once again, I won't say the name just because I don't know. I don't know how this works. Well, he was, is he shirtless? <laughs> he, was, he was shirtless, funnily enough. And I said to you that 80% of what this guy says is brilliant, is like really, really good advice, but 20% is just bunk, but it sounds scientific, and that's what scares me about him. Um, I still follow him just for no reason. Um, um, yeah. Who knows why? Just, yeah. just for the 80%, right? The 80%. Just, I feel I have a duty to just keep an eye on it. Anyway, yeah. um, but he... <laughs> He posted something. So he's recently had a baby. Um, he posted, he did the thing. I love it. I love it when these trainers and these influencers are like, I've just had a baby and I'm still doing whatever. Yeah, but you don't have a normal life. Like, yeah. you're not an average new dad or, you know. But so he's posted about it and he's, it would, and it was a combo of two things I had on Instagram was that kind of no excuses attitude, but also this huge level of privilege without acknowledging it. So what he was posting was like he's sponsored by one of these kind of meal preparation companies. And he was like, oh, well, as a new dad running my business, there's no way I could do it without, you know, these guys, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's no excuse. for. Well, the thing is, I've used those companies. They're, they're, I, you know, those meals are $300 a week just for one person's food. Like that is a huge level of privilege that this guy's bringing that he has that extra $300. And then someone else, another influencer would be like, there's no excuse. I just meal prep. Well, that's three hours a week that maybe someone doesn't have. Like, mm. and that's not, it's not making excuses because I, I do think, you know, if you want it bad enough, you figure out a way, but there's always a cost. Like, I remember, because I am, as we've said, the, you know, if you're going to commit, overcommit. When I was writing my thesis for my master's, I decided that that would be a brilliant time. Also, while working full time, I thought that would be a brilliant time to train for a half marathon. So I would get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'd do an hour's work on my thesis. I'd run five to six and then I'd go to work. But my home life was not great at that point. Like that was a real cost to my family, the fact that I did that. And with hindsight, I probably would have done it differently. And I can see that that was just part of me kind of being like, if I keep doing stuff, I won't notice how how anxious I am about, you know, work pressure or the thesis or whatever, um, you know. You can't have everything, and the and Instagram makes it seem like yeah, you can do this, this, and this, and you have your beautiful spouse, and your kids are happy, and this. No, like I do so much in life, and the thing that I just go right, that's what I don't care about. My house, my house often like it, it needs a deep clean. It really needs a deep clean. Like you know, we keep it bare minimum because it's not a priority. Like you can't have everything unless you have a huge amount of money. But then, well, where does that come from? And that usually comes with a huge amount of work too. So. I can't remember what started that. I just got like on a rant. <laughs> no, no, uh, that's a good rant. There's a lot to unpack there. That I think's really good stuff. Um, so, I wrote an article about like this. It's about the gram. It's about culture, but yeah, the, the fitness lifestyle myth. How it's yeah. bullshit, um, and it is. And social media is chronic for it. And it's easy to mistake social media for real life. But the people with really good social media accounts, I've got a shit one, a shit two, oh, yeah, two of them that are shit. <laughs> um, like, that is heavily doctored, edited, scheduled in advance. It, it's a marketing strategy. And I, I, you know, that's why I have social media for my business. It's a form of marketing, like full disclosure, that's what it is. I don't put it on there for laughs. Sometimes I do. I put funny stuff on there, but the idea is so people know who Arc Remote Coaching is and see some of my content to look at my website to maybe get interested in my business and not everyone's going to convert to being a client. That's cool, but... Arc Remote Coaching offers individualized strength and conditioning coaching for you as an individual anywhere in the world. If you're looking to optimize your physical performance for a field sport, 
if you're a tactical athlete, if you're a performing artist, or if you have a high-intensity hobby where you need to be in the best physical shape, get in touch. Check us out at www.artremotecoaching.com and have an accredited strength and conditioning coach assist you in optimizing your performance when it counts. We offer individualized programming coaching delivered directly to your smartphone so you can access me, your strength and conditioning coach, receive constructive feedback, including video review to make sure that you're performing at your best. Arc Remote Coaching, have me, your strength and conditioning coach, in your pocket anywhere, anytime. I think people mistake that as this is what you need to do to be successful. Um, and fucking fitness influencers, I hate them in a general sense. Some of them are great, some of them are fine, but yeah, um, that's that's my semi rant. It's just recognizing that yeah, anyone who deals in absolutes is probably a fucking idiot. <laughs> he said, as an absolute. <laughs> yeah, as anyone who deals in absolutes is probably a fucking idiot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's not absolute. That's like ninety five percent. Probably ninety four percent. You know. Well, so another thing I've noticed with that around that idea of like that it's a bit fake is, like it used to be the big push a few years years ago used to be more around that no excuses, dedication, blah blah blah. Now, and I actually think this is even more dangerous. Is now what you've got is like elite level competitors being like, you need to have some flexibility, and I didn't even do cardio going into prep, and blah blah blah. But what they're talking about flexibility is. Like, yeah, they don't take their Tupperware to a restaurant anymore. What they do is they have scales in their purse. And I've literally seen this because I live in the eastern suburbs, so I live near some pretty high-level figure competitors who I see at Coogee and Bondi and things like that. They carry their scales in their purse, they measure their food, and they enter it into MyFitnessPal then. They're, they're calculating their macros as they go. So, yeah, they've got more flexibility in the sense that they're out and they're socialising, and that's great. And I don't think that's unhealthy what they're doing because this is their job. But they act like, yeah, you can be flexible. You can still eat out. Well, you can't. Like, these girls are calculating protein to gram. Um, and the other thing they do is this idea of, oh, I don't do that much cardio. I just make sure I get my steps in. But the steps that they're talking about are like, because they do the Coochie to Bondi. If you do Coochie to Bondi and back, that's three hours of walking. Um, so even if you only go one way, it's an hour and a half. And, and yes, I think it's a much healthier attitude of, I enjoy it, I'm out, I'm not slogging away on a treadmill. Like, I think that's great. But I think it's really misleading to pretend that you can look like some of these these figure girls with a flexible lifestyle and not much cardio. And, you know, I just do my weights. I just love my weights. You do, but you also walk an hour and a half every day and it's brisk because I see them out there because I do that walk. And, you know, you are still tracking just because it's not in tough work container. You are still tracking. And they're not working a nine-to-five fucking job. No, no. And so they're still sleeping and yeah. So, and that brings up another offshoot topic, but the, the idea of what you need to do to get to somewhere else versus what someone does at that level. Um, like, and you can look at, oh, you know, so-and-so's elite in whatever sport or whatever field, this is what they do. I should mirror that behavior. Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, no. If you're going to mirror their behavior, it's probably more reasonable to mirror what they did to get there, not what they do now that they're there. That's the difference. And recognizing where you are, I think, along that continuum, what environment you're in, you know, what things you have access to, um, including your genetics to begin with. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I was going to... I see that as a real issue, is people getting really disheartened by lack of progress 
because their starting point was not the same as someone else's starting point. Yes, definitely. Like, so if you're a lean, I'll, I'll, I use mainly female examples because obviously that's the, the work that I do at the moment. Um, you know, like a lean female has a lot more trouble looking super muscular. Like if we use Asha Coulthard, who is the, the figure pro, you know, Asha Coulthard, she was she was not a she was not like my build and then became a figure pro. She was like a very slim girl and then became a figure pro. So she has built that that rig in like six years. And she's open about this. She goes, this is not a 12-week program. This is, you know. Um, so to get to that is going to take more time. Whereas if you're a bigger build and you've been doing a lot of like bodybuilding type training and whatnot, if you can lean down, you've got more muscle underneath you to begin with, but they're not the same starting point. Um, and similarly, like um, like Lauren Simpson, who's the, the bikini pro, um, yeah, she was very, very lean. And she's open about this as well. You know, she's open that she had anorexia and things like that. So for her, it was about building muscle. But at no point were either of these girls trying to strip fat off their bodies. Whereas someone like M King, who's been kind of both, she was bigger. And so she actually, I find her Instagram is a bit more honest about like, yeah, I had to do this much cardio. Uh, we are just calling it steps now, but that's what it is. Like, you know. So while those, I, I, I like, you know, I like Asher and Lauren's kind of, I think they're, they're selling a reasonably healthy kind of lifestyle. They are fairly open about the, the work that it takes, but they're still selling their programs. Um, I think it still doesn't include that the the fact that for someone who's stripping fat as well, it's a different thing than the girl who's just trying to build up muscle. And... Yeah, it's different. And, and even those two examples do highlight, like, this is not an overnight change. No, this no. is someone who is usually chosen a sport that's successful in it, that has the right genetics, the right attitude, the right situation to progress, and that have made a significant long time commitment to it. Yeah. And that may not be reasonable for most people. Yeah. And, and probably if not for anyone who doesn't intend for it to be their career. Like. Yes. No. You, you trying to slim up, you know, for summer is not the same as you trying to take Mr. Olympia or Miss Universe yeah. or whatever. Miss Universe. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> That's a thing, but it's yeah. got nothing to do with weightlifting. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, a, a good example is Mark too with how we got to World Masters for weightlifting. Like that, that was a two-year process that he didn't choose that two years ago. To in You know, in 2017, it was, I'm going to try weightlifting as a sport. He had a background in CrossFit to see if I like it. Yeah. Then he did it. And he was first competition, sweet. Then he had another goal of, I want to get to nationals as a master. He had some other goals and sweet, progress got there. And then it was last year, my, you know, what do you want to do? I want to try and qualify for world masters in 2019. So we had like a year and he's like, but he was realistic about it. He wasn't like, I'm going to like, this is be all and end all. It was a goal. Um, but an aspirational goal in the sense of if he didn't achieve it, he didn't recognize or perceive that as failure. Yeah. Um, the good and thing was... The with smart goals is that they really are like, I will do this and this, and if it doesn't occur, you didn't meet your goal. But it really needs to be about, well, what does the goal mean for you? Like, what does yes. that achievement mean? And what's another way to meet that? Yeah. And I think defining what success is, is not always perfectly achieving a goal. Um, I think goals can be useful as targets and direction. Um, but yeah, if you look at it like a BFA is pass fail and it, it can have um, sort of poor outcomes. And a lot of people don't really know that what is actually realistic or, or even attainable 
they have a perception of what they think. And when you look at, you know, I got a guy who was asking about, you know, how you sort of deal with um, a lack of progress in in training in general. Um, it's like, well, what I do personally is I, I look at a longer time scale. So I, I'm not worried in the moment. I might get, I might get annoyed. I get pretty aggressive um, sometimes with my lifts. Um, I crack the shits like straight after a lift, but two minutes later, I'm fine. I'm a little bit scared to try with you, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, it's not all the time. They just look good on Instagram. Um, here I am promoting some bullshit lifestyle. <laughs> but, you know, my, my measure of success in time scale is, is a lot longer. And, you know, I, I have training cycles yeah. where I don't progress in my lifts. And I accept that. Um, I'm not disheartened by it. Um, because I have a degree of confidence that what I'm doing is useful and I I believe that I'm going to achieve progress. Well, I think I think that's key is it's about giving clients the education around that not every day, even if you've been progressing, you won't progress every day. And yes. that, that progression has like there's you know, it's got a certain trajectory and it's gonna get yeah. harder to progress. But also that doesn't matter how well you've adhered to the training program, everyone has a shit day for a variety of reasons. Like there's, for women, there's like hormonal fluctuations and you should be aware of that with your training. But there's, I mean, there's hormonal fluctuations for men too, but they're just less aware of them. Um, and, you know, you sometimes you don't realise the little things that could have affected it. Like I, I had this experience this morning where I was like, oh, geez, I was just like not performing in the gym. And it's only because I do track my food that I was like, wow, I like ate like 20 grams of carbs yesterday just by accident. That was it. Like, so I'm like, yeah, I've got, I've got nothing in me. Like, so I'm not going to be an amazing performer today. But that doesn't mean that I give up on the, on the training session. Like I, I go through it and, yeah, I fucking hate putting in a smaller number in my fit app um, like to say that I didn't, I didn't hit last week's numbers, but you just accept it. But there is an idea of like, <laughs> you know, like um, fucking Daft Punk, harder, better, faster. Um, and it's it's not going to be every week. It's not going to be every day that that is happening. It's it's slowly over time and you look back six months and you notice that the average has improved. Yes. And, and that is it. And, and that's diet. That's training. That's fucking everything. Um, the thing that complicates it is when people first get into training that is when your adaptive capacity for whatever you're doing is at its highest. Yeah. And then every session after that, your rate of improvement on average decreases, which people think it's a linear relationship. And, and they also, you know, some people I should say, not everyone, but a lot of people think it's a linear relationship that I, I put on five kilos on, on my lift every week for the past five weeks. In a year, I'm going to be squatting 260 kilograms you're like you're not going to be um there's going to be obstacles there's going to be times when your progress actually drops um where it stagnates where it plateaus and you might think you can just do something that's going to bust through this plateau and that's a really cool thing to write um as copywriting to get someone to to look at your articles bust through you know this plateau with these five quick tips um but it's it's not going to happen it's and training's a process. It's, it's a long-term process. And I think it's important for people to be successful, to one, work out how they're going to measure success and take a longer-term view. Yeah. Um, as opposed to sweating the small stuff, worrying about individual sessions. Um, and then, yeah, if you keep doing a training program and you're not progressing, like something is wrong, 
but it may not be the program. (laughs) It's definitely involving the person doing it. But one of those a million variables, like what can you actually change? Um, But another thing is like, yes, sometimes if you're stagnating or plateauing, I see that in a positive light because I'm not going backwards. Yeah. Uh, And even if I... I, Especially if you're going through a hard time with everything else in life. If it's a busy time, a plateau is good. Yeah, Yeah. it it is. Um, There's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can, can improve. And I think, you know, sort of being aware of the environment you're in in life at the time is important. And, you know, I think some sort of reflection and I guess people get, well, some people get sort of fixated on short-term rewards when the rewards of training actually, the most important ones come in the long term. Um, but I do like the point from like probably three hours ago now of um, how you actually measure and define improvement or success. Um, that's 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 a phenomenal way to, to to look at it because it might not actually be getting a PR and a lift. It's actually developing habits. Yeah. Or it's, habits it's, or mindset would yeah. be the other. Are they thinking about it differently? Is that been the Yeah. And you know, as a coach, you know, I look at a number of measures. Some that are objective. Some of that are subjective with a client with what they want to do and. You know, ultimately, you want to help them achieve their goals, but how someone's training is going to go has a degree of variability, and it's not predictive. No matter how much we want it to be, no training program can predict your performance increase. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, there's individual differences where people respond to training differently, and then over time, how they respond differently as well. Um, but then, I, then I, I try and take a view of what what has this person done that's improved. Because it comes back to motivation and how they view training. Well, it's like, well, actually, mate, you, your consistency improved. You, you actually finished all your program, like all the sessions. You actually got all this in. Um, your technique, that's a really good one. It's like you might not have improved the lift, but your actual technique and performance has improved. You're a lot more consistent. There's a whole bunch of other measures um, as opposed to just what numbers in the bar or what speed did I run my 5K Um yeah, uh, I think it's it's how you measure success, which is, can be a lot broader than what a lot of people recognise. Well, I'm glad I had at least one good point in three hours. No, you had a heap. Uh, that, was, that was the only one I could remember. I know we've talked about performance anxiety, um, but I had a question specifically. As someone improves in their fitness or performance levels, um, can that see a change in their anxiety related to training? Why... Oh, yeah, I think you mentioned this question to me because it seemed like the person was sort of saying that as it performance increases, um, anxiety increases. Yes. But actually, without, like, shaming whoever that was, because I, I genuinely don't mm. know who that was, that was just a question you mentioned to me, um, it, it shouldn't. Um, yep. like, so if, if it is happening, that what that says is that there's something going on for that person in terms of how they're thinking about stuff. Yep. So that's not going to be something you're going to solve with a training type thing, that's going to be something you're going to solve for the mindset yep. type, type thing. Because really, like, as your performance increases, you should be gaining confidence. Mm-hmm. You should be being able to reflect on your wins. Your habits should be improving. So what I would say is that if someone is actually finding that as as it gets higher, their, their anxiety is just naturally getting worse, it's to do with the pressure that they're putting on themselves. And, yep. and it's that piece of, 
what what meaning are they are they giving to success in this field? And that's mm. probably something to look at because there's a different study and I can't remember what it's called, but what it basically says is if you make a novice do something in front of an audience, they'll do worse. If you make an expert do something in front of an audience, they'll do better. Yeah. So like I, I give like a lot of presentations at work and I definitely have seen that in myself. But when I first would do it, if my boss was in the room, if someone I knew was in the room, if it was a big audience, I'd feel heaps worse. I'd do heaps worse, talk too fast, all that. Now I've like been doing them for so long that I'm like I'm like a creep with this stuff. I'm like finding people to invite into these rooms. Like, do you want to come watch me present? Who wants to watch me present? Um, because it makes me better. Because it just makes me so much more aware of my performance and I'm more in tune with it and like what I'm saying and, and just how engaged I am with the audience. Um, so I would say that if someone is like if objectively their performance is increasing but the anxiety is going up, that says something about that they're not they're kind of not valuing themselves in the right way they're not looking at themselves in in the most productive way that's probably something like if that like i would say that is something that sports sites can help with or you know i like these obviously someone listening to this could have access to sites in different ways like a lot of workplaces have what we call eap so employee employment assistance programs you can usually access them for like four or five sessions for free obviously military members have access to sites um but really, I would say you don't necessarily have to see a site. You can just start doing research online, you know, listen to podcasts if that's your thing, watch YouTube videos if that's your thing. But just make sure that you've got someone who's actually an expert as opposed to someone who's like, this is what works for me. Um, yep. But it's definitely, it's definitely more in the mindset piece. And, and what I would say to that person is, is the first thing, if they were my client, I would get them to reflect on what have been their wins, like what are they good at and how can they leverage that moving forward. Because it's really a growth mindset. So a growth mindset being, obviously, if you're not good at something, it's not that you're not good at it globally, it's that you have not yet learned those skills and that you will, you, you have the capacity to learn those skills. You just might need to learn them in a different way to someone else. And uh, then the next question is, um, for coaches mainly, like any tips for us on how we can help uh, work with an athlete and their mindset? Um, and notably, like you depending on what you're coaching, you get a variety of people. You know, we've talked a lot of stuff here, shitloads of stuff, um, actually. <laughs> I don't even remember half the stuff we've talked about. I feel like you'll be able to go back and cut any of the stuff we've said and make answers to anything, really, but that's fine. Yeah, I'm just going to rearrange it. <laughs> Man, this, this is really insightful today, and there's no swearing. <laughs> I think but, I slipped up. There's the occasional life word slipped in there. Oh, oh, yeah, and the, the more you swear, the more I swear, and I know it's the other way around as well, because... Yeah, you know, bloody AJs. <laughs> Someone says fuck, then everyone says fuck. Yeah. Um, oh, we're allowed to now. <laughs> I have to make sure this podcast is uh, rated um, for explicit language or whatever. But um, you know, coaches see a variety of people and of different mindsets, different anxiety levels, different arousal levels, different cognition. What can a coach do when they either one want to help someone? Um, to optimize their mindset um, or two. Ah, shit, I forget what two was. Okay, well, you just edit that in later. Um, yeah. I think the big thing, and, you know, this is true of anyone that works, like, in a co- in a coaching or a site profes- profession, is sometimes when we go wrong with our clients is that we're not asking the right questions mm. because we're and, – and there's actually – and I, I don't know about with coaches, but there's a study with psychologists, and what it says is basically that there's, like, a peak point of um, how well engaged the average psyche is with their clients and whether they're getting a really good thorough understanding of what's going on for them 
and it's, it actually peters off after a certain point. So basically, like, obviously, new spikes are nervous, you know, they're two in their own head. And then there's this, like, key two, three-year period. And then after that, it actually gets worse unless people actively work against it. Because what happens is you start to think, oh, I've seen a client like this client before, and this is what worked for that client. And we yep. forget that humans are so diverse in so many ways. And also that you don't know, and, like, it's not really appropriate for 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 a coach to know every single thing that's happened in someone's life and you don't know yeah. what's going to potentially trigger like, you know, kind of a dodgy coping strategy or what's going to be hard for them. So I think the big thing is asking asking the right questions and and thinking about, you know, is is something going on for this person that you may just have not even considered? And every, and, and just having some self-reflection of like, right, what, what would I do better to get better outcomes or, um, you know, and I've, I've made mistakes like that before with, you know, like I'm working on sleep with someone and I think that I've covered off on everything in terms of caffeine use and sleep hygiene or whatever. And then I figure out, oh no, and you know, I've done energy drinks, but I haven't explicitly asked about something like hydroxy cup and this person's been uh, like, yeah. you know, and then I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm, and without that crucial piece of information, and it's the same where, you know, had you not asked me about what other training do I do? And you not know that I was like running 10Ks a night, you might have got frustrated with me of why aren't you getting stronger? Mm. And then you might have put more pressure on me, or you might have said, Oh, I'd expect better progress from you or something, and then it's gonna not have a good like relationship for us. Um, so I think it's just about being being aware that it takes it does take time to figure out like what's going on, but also that depending on how your coaching relationship is and how many clients you have. Maybe you don't. Maybe that's not a space you get into. Maybe that's not time you have. So accepting that, like, you don't have that full level of control and all you can do is just give them kind of information around, look, these are the kind of things that can affect it and let them try to figure it out. Yep. Um, uh, that's good advice. I think a lot of people, once they start learning about a topic, feel compelled to start acting like they're an expert in the topic. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I know boats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not a boat, mate. This is a ship or whatever. Um, yeah, or, or you, you know, you, you do something that works with one person and then you go, ha, huh, you know, Eureka, I found it. The, yeah. You know, I've got the golden egg. This is going to solve this other person's problems, but everyone's that's different. Yeah. Um, and that's a skill that can be, like, that's very transferable in a lot of areas of life. Like, as a yeah. leader, you don't want to treat everyone the same. As a parent, you don't want to treat your kids the same. Like, people react differently for so many different reasons. So. Yeah. And uh, like training, like everyone responds to training differently. That's um, a really funny thing about studies because people go, oh, this study said this. It's like, yep, it does. Yeah. But how applicable is that to you as an individual and in your circumstances? So yeah. Like, and you, so often it's the, this study that I read the summary of said this, but it's not, oh, and the study was completed on this very specific population yeah. that had already done this strength training or already done this. So. Yeah. If you, yeah. People fucking hate abstract warriors. Yeah. Uh, they're the worst in in exercise science and fitness and whatever else. I love it. was psychology too, don't worry. Yeah, they're just like, oh, well, this is... And you're like, fuck, did you even read the study? It was on yeah. five people. Yeah. Um, and it, is that what it actually said? Like, so tell, like me tell me the, the shortcomings. What were the actual recommendations? Not what you think it says. Yeah. Uh, tell me the weaknesses in the study. Because every study has a weakness. And a good yeah. study will tell you that. And thanks once again for checking out Arc Remote Coaching Radio and this episode with Alicia Schimeld. You can follow Alicia at The Geek Psych on Instagram. That is T-H-E-G-E-E-K-P-S-Y-C-H. 
No underscores, no letters, no spaces or anything crazy, dots or whatever. Don't forget to follow Arc Remote Coaching on Instagram as well. Arc Remote Coaching, all one word. You can find us on YouTube. We also have a Facebook page, which you probably heard me ramble about. It's stupidly carries our old business name of Ascension Strength and Conditioning because Facebook are jerks. And we also have a website, arcremotecoaching.com. You can find other content available as well as see what services we offer that can help you optimize your performance where and when it counts. Anyway, till next time, keep it real.